You know the last time you pulled up to a hole that had a really tight fairway? Maybe there's woods on the left, water on the right, but it's long enough where you have to hit driver. So you need to hit that straight, that control shot. You know, the one where you don't give it your all, but you're just trying to control it out there into the fairway. Or maybe on the other hand, when you pull up to that hole that's, let's say, you know, 18 at St. Andrews, with just a massively wide fairway, and you can just smash it as hard as you possibly can. The question, is there a benefit to either of those mindsets going into a shot? Do you actually hit it straighter with that control shot? And do you actually hit it farther when you try to smash it? I think those are great questions. And today, that's what we're going to talk about. You're listening to the Golf Science Lab. My name is Cordy Walker and I am your host and thanks for joining us back for this episode. And I always love talking about really relevant and interesting research that we all can relate to. And for instance, just a couple months ago, we talked about a pre-shot routine study looking at the difference between results for players in the European Tour. That was an awesome podcast. You should check that out if you haven't listened to it. But anyways, we're back today with another. And as you heard in that intro, this one is going to be really practical as it's something we've all thought about and all experienced experienced on the golf course. Uh, But before that, I wanted to let you know that we created an Amazon Alexa skill for the Golf Science Lab. You can play the latest podcast episodes, go back through the catalog, or ask it a question, and it'll play a podcast with relevant answers, content. I'm excited to experiment with it and would love to have a bunch of you using it and and see what happens. Let me me know your feedback. My email is hey at golfsciencelab.com or message me on any social platform. Uh, I would love to hear how it goes for you. All right. Let's get started with today's guest. Steve Buzzer, originally from Exeter, England. I did a sports science degree. Um, I graduated that one in 2009. So love my golf, always love playing. Kind of went off to do my degree. I I was actually interested in uh, sports psychology so I was thinking that that would be the route I went down. But whenever, whenever I was out on the course, I've always been quite a technical player. Then I was introduced to biomechanics when, when I was doing that undergrad degree. From there, I finished that one with a first-class honors degree and went on and did a research master's of kind of looking at driving performance. And whilst I was doing that, I've been doing the YouTube videos um, I worked for the University of Exeter. I had a performance team, which did really well. It was great teaching elite amateurs, and a few of them trying to go into the professional game. And then I worked for David Ledbetter in Bangkok, and I'm currently sitting, looking over the water in Florida. So no longer in the southwest of England. I can tell you the weather is very nice here. <laughs> Steve has an awesome YouTube channel with lots of great instruction, course vlogs, and all that good stuff. But today, it's kind of cool to hear behind the scenes on what he's been working on for a couple of years. From a playing perspective, um, and I think people can relate to this, is when you're, when you're maybe on the range and practicing with driver, you kind of have like your stock driver, you're just trying to hit normal shots. And then when you actually go out on the course, you end up having to do different things because the whole layout changes. So my my whole actual research project started probably my first or second year when I was doing my undergrad degree. And it came from quite simply, when I try and hit it harder and I feel like I've hit that really big shot, has it actually gone further? Because when we're looking at a golf drive, we're kind of getting a 2D perspective. So sometimes if we try harder and we perceive we swung it quicker, we just assume it's gone further. And it's, it's sometimes hard to actually judge whether 
it did or it didn't. So that was where the project actually first came about. Once I started kind of researching, I came across a a theory. It's, it's quite an old one from 1986, uh, constraints-led approach. So it was done by a guy called uh, Newell. And he, rather than looking at sporting performance as just the technique, he felt that kind of what we do and what how we actually perform the movement is related to three things. So the actual task, the environment, and then the like the organism. So to break that down to like the organism would be the golfer. So we we have different physical abilities. Uh, we have different psychological traits. The task in golf can change massively. So we have you know the the whole layout and the, the way that our where we perform the rules because of like hazards etc on that hole. So I, there's not really or I can't think of another sport that has a playing area that changes to the extent that we do in golf and then obviously the environment is the environment we've all played in the wind and the rain you know your altitude and all of these other things so he feels that it's a combination of all three of those things that are going to actually impact on how we perform so i had three studies within my uh, my masters within my mfield project uh, the first one was a outdoors track man uh, we weren't looking at what the body was doing. We didn't look at the, the club data. So it was just purely ball. Uh, three task constraints. So the standard one was just a normal drive. You know, we kind of used it as a control. The second one was the distance drive. That was just to outperform what they did within their standard drive in terms of distance. So if they, if they hit it 260, they needed to hit it 270. Uh, the third task constraint was the accuracy drive. I was then, again, comparing it against the standard. They needed to improve their dispersion. So those were the three conditions. They were done in blocks of five, so it wasn't. So I, they hit sixty shots, but it was it wasn't just twenty, twenty, twenty. It was done in blocks of five to make sure that it wasn't just order effects. But that that was the first study, really, just to get an understanding of are there possible differences. The second study, I used direct linear transformation, which is a manual way to use cameras to pretty much get what an automated system or like a K-motion or my swing can produce. Just used a single person that showed big differences within the first condition. Really just trying to get an understanding of how he was able to do it. So that was the second one, again, done outside. The last study, we wanted to get some kinetic data to go alongside the kilomatic data so we went inside we used vicon to look at kind of what the body was doing the movements the kilomatics and then we had a kisler force plate used to kind of see the force and the center of pressure traces again that was three conditions three task constraints they were the same as what was used in the other two studies this is fun to talk about and learn about because we all play these mental games uh, on the tee or wherever we're at on the course. We might be thinking that we're playing smart or strategically, but I love asking, are we? Do we have some data to, to back this up and does it have a positive or negative impact? Uh, because we don't like basing decisions on one shot or one round. It's really nice to have a set of data and some results that we can look at.
it was interesting. I was expecting, and I'll tell you what I was expecting first, or a few scenarios is when we try and hit the ball further, we think that we might lose control. We might tighten up, you know, sequencing in the golf swing is really important. So I thought what we might see is the distance drive would cause big problems. And and it didn't, it really didn't. The first study, I had 17 participants, Uh, 16 of the 17 increased their ball speed. So it was quite clear that when they, when elite performers try to hit the ball further, they are able to increase ball speed. I didn't really find any evidence to suggest when they tried to play for accuracy that we were seeing a benefit. At a group level, what was happening was the actual carry mean was reducing. So I wasn't, wasn't finding any significance in the dispersion, but they were hitting it shorter. When I delved in a little bit more, so what, what I've done in my research is I've tried not to just go off of the group means because like, if you've ever coached or you've ever watched golfers, we, we tend to do things very different. So I, I didn't want to just take the average because I would probably lose what the actual findings were. So when I, when I broke things down, although a lot of the golfers, or like I say, 16 of the 17 were able to increase their ball speed, They weren't all actually getting significance within their carry distance or their total distance. So although the distance drive was giving the ability to have an advantageous kind of effect on their driving, it wasn't happening for everybody. Another thing that I was seeing, and this is more like, so when we're looking at like task constraints, it's looking at not just are they doing the movement quicker or slower it's like has the movement itself actually changed and what we were seeing is the distance drive so when they were trying to hit it further they were tending to hit it higher launching higher and when they were trying to hit it straighter at a group level i didn't get any significance in actually the accuracy drive going lower like launching lower but a lot of the actual participants did and what it meant was although we were seeing differences in ball speed like I had a I had a few participants able to carry the ball further, like significantly further, and then the ball wouldn't roll as far, so they would then lose the significance. And we were finding with the the accuracy drive, especially, they were losing a lot of distance within the carry, but then it was a lower flight, so it was actually chasing down and actually then making up for that in the roll. I use TrackMan, so when you're applying this to the golf course. And this is something that wasn't found in the results because the TrackMan data just assumes roll is, it just works it off of the, um, a few figures from the ball flight. Is if the accuracy drive isn't gaining any straightness, it's almost essential that it has to be if they're going shorter because if they're landing it shorter in the rough, obviously they're not going to make up the roll. Whereas if they were catching the fairway, that roll might be seen. So, yeah, the first one, distance drive can be beneficial. Didn't really find any evidence that the accuracy one could be. You know, of the 17, one person in the accuracy actually was significantly better than their standard. And it was simply because their standard drive was very, very poor. So of the 17, they performed very poor. They had a poor 20 drives. And that was actually what allowed that to happen. Yeah, what kind of golfers, what level, I guess, of handicaps did, did you test? 
but I was I was using elite, so I, I defined elite as if they were an amateur, they needed to be category one, so that's five or below. I had a lot of PGA pros, and I had a few tour pros or guys playing on mini tours. So your data set was, I'm guessing most of them had a swing speed over like 105 then? Correct. Okay. And that's a, that's a really good point as well, because everything I'm saying today is on a, an elite person. I, I haven't I haven't done this testing with kind of mid to high handicap golfers. And I would assume, so like, like I said, with the sequencing, if you've got a higher handicap trying to hit it harder, they might, their movement might break down. So it's something I want to do in the future. And I would not be surprised if the results were very different for a population of mid to high handicaps than the elite guys that I've used in my current work. So when we, when we talk about the control shots, right, that the people hit, I guess like what was the average dispersion? Or I don't know if you have these numbers or know them offhand, but curious, like what's the dispersion from left to right and like long to short amongst the group as a whole? Do you have any idea around that? Within my master's, so I've only, I've only reported the, like the mean of the group. Yep. And I, I was finding they were carrying it 221 meters standard deviation of about 10 and then we were finding that the total was going up to about 240 meters with a, again a standard deviation of like 10 and that, that that's in the standard drive we were finding the distance one the carry went up to 228 accuracy went down to 214 the standard deviation states pretty similar for all three uh, task constraints i had um of this of the 17 people in in the collection, I would say I, I, one of the mini tour players, especially, you know, he he was he he would be above tour average. I had a couple of amateurs in there that were a little older, and I would say that their distances were a little further down. What about the left to right? How did that change from the control to the to the long and the control to the accuracy? Yeah. So what what's interesting with lateral dispersion? So we're looking at factual dispersion of 15 in the standard, 16 in the distance, 13 in the accuracy. But the actual standard deviations are quite high. And lateral dispersion is it's quite a volatile um, measurement. Because if, if, if you just think about like if you went to the range now and hit 15 shots, you know, you'll hit a couple straight. You might hit a couple wide. So... I would say, and something that I've reported in here, and, and what I would like to do in the future is like Mark Brody stuff, looking at um, strokes gained, is actually trying to give you a value for each one. I think it's a, it's a, it's a stronger measurement, but it, it was actually quite hard to do because like strokes gained, it, it kind of is calculated off of previous and shots, you know, or what shot you're about to have. So to try and actually put strokes gained into this experimental biased is going to be a bit of a problem because obviously I could change things to make the maybe one constraint look better than the other, depending on how I altered the holes. I've actually spoken to Mark about this and we're kind of trying to see if there's a solution to look at it. So actual dispersion, we're, we're seeing that the means are very similar, but the standard deviations are actually quite big. For, for that reason. One other interesting idea is, does this difference in increased yardage actually matter for you? 
When we apply some analysis and we look at stats here, we're able to figure out if there is an improvement in scoring potential if we're gaining more yardage. I think this is really interesting to look at and important to think about. So let's say my three constraints, let's say somebody hits it 200 yards when they try and do their accuracy. They hit it 205 yards when they try and do their distance. That difference, if all 17 people make that change, you might find that it it creates a significant difference statistically. But we need actually, in golf, we need to, if we're trying to apply different tasks, we need to do it so it makes and alters it enough to actually show a a difference in the scoring potential. So what I I was finding in the 17, I did have people that would hit the ball in excess of, like in in Brody's work, he he says 20 yards equals 0.75 shots potentially better scoring on the PGA Tour, you know, and, and I had I had a few participants that were able to create that gap, which is, you know, a, a finding that it's like, yeah, if you could actually apply that while you're playing, that's going to have an, a difference. But I also had a few that although they hit it a bit further, it wasn't necessarily big enough to actually change it on the course. So that's why I use like my example there of 200 yards versus 205 that's maybe not even half a club. So you should test this out. You should see the difference that it makes for you. Now that launch monitors are becoming more and more accessible, whether it's you getting your own, something like the Flightscope Mevo or Swing Caddy pop to mine, or see if you can rent out some time on a TrackMan or Foresight or Flightscope and do some testing yourself just because this could be really valuable to you and see what happens. And and I like some of these ideas that Steve presents as well around how to hit it farther. But please, if you're doing some testing like this, make sure to randomize it. He did that in his test, but don't hit 20 in a row as hard as you can, then 20 as accurately as you can. That's not going to get you very good data. So make sure to randomize that if you're going to go out and do some testing yourself. The thing I, w- I would be doing is actually just try and do my protocol. You don't you don't need 20. You know, I was I was getting people to hit 20 shots just because it for like from a statistical standpoint it meant I had more data so it it made the the strength of the data more. But I would go out and like like try to hit five balls normal and then try and hit five balls as hard as you can. Try and hit five balls just straight and just just see what's happening. You know, it Pick some targets in the driving range and actually try and be honest with yourself and say, well, what's happening? With the five when you're hitting it, when you're trying to hit it harder, maybe try and do that on every session. You know, just try and hit five as far as you can and see how does it feel? Does it feel out of control in week one, but you start to be able to harness it? Of the five shots you hit, do you hit one that you think, wow, that's that's big? You know, and can I learn from that? Because I think... Coming from from this research is I'm not sure whether trying to just hit it straight or trying to hit it accurate or hitting for distance, you know, when you're out on the course, do you need to do that? Maybe if you just try and hit it as far as you can on the on the range, you don't need those other two task constraints. You know, maybe you can adapt and learn when you're on on your practice. You know, beating loads of balls just for accuracy, you know, I it slows you down for one because you hit too many balls. You actually you teach yourself to be slow, so that that's a bad thing. And like I say, you, use my work or use use the kids example I gave earlier. 
you know, just go out there and try and hit big drives on the range and see see what happens. You know, and it, it's an individual thing. You know, but I think if you practice it, don't moan that you don't hit the ball very far and then go out and practice and only try and hit it straight. If you feel like you need more distance, go out on the range and just try and hit it as far as you physically can. And I think you'll be surprised that once you do that for a few weeks, you'll start to gain control. You might find that you need a few alterations with your driver, you know, to get the optimal launches, etc., etc., etc. But I think if you're that player that needs more distance or feels like more distance will improve their game, go out and practice it. Gotcha. Any cues or sensation? Like, so you saw that pressure moving towards the heel a little bit during when people are trying to hit it farther. That's generally a good thing. Is there any cues that you'd recommend if, if someone's going to go out there that they try or any feels or anything? I'm seeing significant differences with in the left foot more so than the right foot. So I would be thinking, push hard off of the left foot. Watch the guys on tour. There's so many players where that left foot is twisting and it's moving because of how hard they're pushing through the ground. So that that's a key one. I wouldn't say you need to try and change your swing too much. This this isn't a become a long driver and make your swing really long. You know that that will help distance, but that's not kind of what what we're working on here. So I, I would use the cue of really pushing hard through the left foot. The kinetics happen before the kilomatics. So whatever you see in your body movement, it tends to have happened or it does happen because of the kinetics around it. So you can push through that left leg hard and early. You know, don't feel like you need to wait to get halfway down in the downswing and then try and do it. That would be too late. Use it as a trigger. Make a good backswing and then push hard through the left leg. You know, it's going to it's gonna put you in some really nice positions. Hopefully, it'll give you some tilt to actually improve the launch. You know, and, and you want to feel like you're going to launch the ball high. You know, the ball, the ball speed, if you can increase that and you still launch it low, you know, you might spin it. You get all of these other factors. So I would be feeling push hard through the left and try and launch the ball. And when you're practicing, don't be afraid to do it too much learn how to harness the beast that you're creating before you hit the range and try this out let's look at what's actually happening when you're trying to hit it harder and what we're potentially looking for there in the changes that are happening the thing i i would be doing is actually just try and do my protocol you don't you don't need 20 you know i was i was getting people to hit 20 shots just because it for like from a statistical standpoint it meant i had more data so it it made the the strength of the data more but i would go out and like like try to hit five balls normal and then try and hit five balls as hard as you can try and hit five balls just straight and just just see what's happening you know it pick some targets in the driving range and actually try and be honest with yourself and say well, what's happening with the five when you're hitting it when you're trying to hit it harder you know maybe try and do that on every session you know, just try and hit five as far as you can and see how does it feel? Does it feel out of control in week one, but you start to be able to harness it? Of the five shots you hit, do you hit one that you think, wow, that's, that's big? You know, and can I, can I, can I learn from that? Because I, I think coming from, from this research is I'm not sure whether trying to just hit it straight or trying to hit it accurate or hitting for distance you know, when you're out on the course, do you need to do that? Maybe 
if you just try and hit it as far as you can on the on the range, you don't need those other two task constraints. You know, maybe you can adapt and learn when you're on on your practice. You know, beating loads of balls just for accuracy, it slows you down for one because you hit too many balls. You actually you teach yourself to be slow, so that that's a bad thing. And like I say, you, use my work or use use the kids example I, I gave earlier. You know, just go out there and try and hit big drives on the range and see see what happens. You know, and it, it's an individual thing. You know, but I think if you practice it, don't moan that you don't hit the ball very far and then go out and practice and only try and hit it straight. If you feel like you need more distance, go out on the range and just try and hit it as far as you physically can. And I think you'll be surprised that once you do that for a few weeks, you'll start to gain control. You might find that you need a few alterations with your driver, you know, to get the optimal launches, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if you're that player that needs more distance or feels like more distance will improve their game, go out and practice it. Gotcha. Any cues or sensation, like, so you saw that pressure moving towards the heel a little bit during when people are trying to hit it farther. That's generally a good thing. Is there any cues that you'd recommend if, if someone's going to go out there that they try or any feels or anything? I'm seeing significant differences with in the left foot more so than the right foot. So I would be thinking, push hard off of the left foot. You know, don't don't worry. It, it, watch the guys on tour. There's so many players where that left foot is twisting and it's moving because of how hard they're pushing through the ground. So that that's a key one. I wouldn't say you need to try and change your swing too much. This this isn't a become a long driver and make your swing really long, you know, that that will help distance, but that's not kind of what, what we're working on here. So I, I would use the cue of really pushing hard through the left foot. The kinetics happen before the kilomatics. So whatever you see in your body movement, it tends to have happened or it does happen because of the the kinetics around it. So you can push through that left leg hard and early. You know, don't feel like you need to wait to get halfway down in the downswing and then try and do it. That would be too late. So use it as a trigger. Make a good backswing and then push hard through the left leg. You know, it's going to it's going to put you in some really nice positions. Hopefully it'll give you some tilt to actually improve the launch. You know, and, and you want to feel like you're going to launch the ball high. You know, the ball, the ball speed, if you can increase that and you still launch it low, you know, you might spin it. You get all of these other factors. So I would be feeling push hard through the left and try and launch the ball. And when you're practicing, don't be afraid to do it too much. Learn how to harness the beast that you're creating. Variability. I love that we've taken this here because that's what this game is all about, managing variability and really be trying to become a master of it and embracing it. And when we talk about this, I always think of Lynn Marriott and Pia Nielsen of Vision 54. They have an awesome book called Be a Player. We did a bunch of podcasts with them. But there's a chapter in here on variability and a paragraph that I want to read to set the context here a bit. In our opinion, too many players focus on achieving consistency. They practice the same shot and the same swings over and over, convinced that more time on the range will enable them to perfectly replicate a swing that will never let them down. But scientific research now shows that endless hours on the range are ineffective. In 2006, Stanford University's Krishna Shinoy, a professor of electrical engineering and neurobiology, showed that humans aren't capable of perfectly replicating a physical action. Shinoy, who studies the neural basis of movement, explained, 
The main reason you can't move the same way each and every time when you're swinging a golf club say, is that your brain can't plan the swing the same way each time. All right, let's get back to Steve. Something that I, I find quite interesting is, is trying to take what I find in this and compare it to like a, a handicap population and then looking at how we teach the higher handicap population. Because I, I think it's quite it's quite common at the minute and, and golf instruction almost seems to be turning that it doesn't really matter how your swing looks. You know, you've got so many examples on tour of players that maybe have movements that are a little out there, very unorthodox. And then we kind of use that as a license that it doesn't really matter what people's swings look like. If you look at how variability works within, like, especially when you're learning, so like when you first start learning the game, your variability is very, very wide just because you don't, don't know what you're doing. Once you start to get better, so like it, you get into that like intermediate player, you know, I, I would probably say that's a, a mid, mid-teen player, maybe a, a nine handicap. You could, where you put that, you know, you could, we could argue about all day, but once you become like that intermediate player, you tend to really take control of the variability. You really do reduce it. And then this is something that I think a lot of people don't maybe consider or realize is once you get into like the elite population, the variability tends to increase again. And that's what allows them to play all these different types of shots. So coming off of my research here, you need to do a training intervention like th this story is, hasn't been complete you know you need to do a training intervention and see how elite golfers are affected can you put this into a novice population so rather than ask trying to get them in loads of different positions you just ask them to hit it harder you ask them to hit it softer you know you, th this comes kind of like putting you know if you use putting if you look at like quiet eye research you know where you don't really teach a method you just teach a what they're going to focus on and just let them kind of learn how to actually do the task because you could argue in golf a lot of the time we don't really consider what the task is we, we get so wrapped up in how we want people's swings to look at how we even if you're using all the technology you know trying to sort someone's path out etc we get so wrapped up in that we forget actually what's the task and this this is what i want to come from my research and like from the podcast today is just to try and consider that is is variability a bad thing but at what point do you allow it at what point do you not because it's so it's so easy to say well an intermediate player doesn't have it and an elite person does but it's like well how do i know when to change things because you you can end up just sitting on the fence and saying well maybe i'll just leave this player and he might become really really good just by learning it and at other times you go well if i just leave them they're they're really struggling and they're, they're never going to get to the point in which they need to be. So this research here, it really is just looking. And I think there's so much scope about how we, how we teach, how we teach different populations and are the traditional ways we're doing it good? Are they bad? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm on neither side at the minute. I just think, um, there are loads of ways to do it and, you know, it, it's an area in which we can only learn more. And I think once we start learning it, you know, I think we'll be able to help a, a lot of golfers. All right. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Steve for sitting down and sharing his research. I really enjoyed learning about this. And the unedited version of our interview will be posted next week. So you want to, if you want to listen to this in long form version, make sure to come back and listen, subscribe in that podcast app. If you are listening and you are not a Golf Science Live insider, you need to become one. You'll get access to the content first, all our updates, uh, and the dispatch, which is our unique email newsletter where we share things that are interesting and unique around the world of golf. Make sure to head over to golfsciencelive.com slash insider to get access to that. And this episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. It was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions.